0: I'm Danielle Levine and you're listening to The Future Effect. The Future Effect is a weekly podcast bringing you the latest news and updates in Florida's child welfare system. This podcast is brought to you by the Future Effect Political Committee. A bipartisan effort to give Floridians an opportunity to get involved in the legislative and political process on behalf of Florida's children. So, hey, hey, you're here with Danielle Levine and and
1: Joe Durso.
0: We are back here today to talk to you guys about the 2020 state legislative agenda and what our priorities are for the next couple of months to help benefit our kiddos and families.
1: Right. Right. And so um, I guess it would be helpful if we talk a little bit about what the legislature does and when they meet and all that good stuff first. But, um, you know, in Florida we have a 60-day session, and so the Florida legislature gets together um, two months a year, and they the only requirement is that they pass a budget. But while they're in Tallahassee working, uh, they also take a look at all kinds of laws that impact – Uh, Everything from transportation to children and families to uh, tax policy, business development, public safety. They they look at a whole wide uh, array of things. And one of the things that they look at is uh, Medicaid, which is a state health care insurance program. Um, And, of course, we're very interested in any rules that they come up with or any changes that they make to that plan because um, it impacts thousands, tens of thousands of our kids uh, that are in the child welfare system. And so that's part of that's the largest part of our legislative agenda this year, is really driving home some positive change in that uh, that Medicaid program.
0: And that's because our kids are eligible for Medicaid once right. they enter the foster care system.
1: Right. And so any child who enters the child welfare system uh, and becomes essentially a ward of the state um, is eligible for Medicaid insurance. And so what the state of Florida we think very wisely did was they created a child welfare medicaid specialty plan that really targets services very specific services like kids that are traditionally more high need high uh um, what's the word i'm looking for kids that are traditionally more high risk high risk is also part of it but it's um they have higher they have uh, more intense needs more intensive needs okay um and so the legislature focused on these kids that have all these intensive needs, and they and they helped through the Agency for Healthcare Administration create a program that really provides, you know, stronger therapeutic services, uh, different kind of pharmaceutical uh, uh, services, all these different things that kids in the child welfare system need that don't really fit the general population, but really fit uh, the high-end needs of our kids in child welfare. Because, again, our kids come from a background where, um, you know, they face they face sexual abuse, physical abuse. They've seen domestic violence. They have a different set of needs across the board, medical, physical, thera- uh, you know, uh, therapies, um, mental services. They have a, a higher level of need than the general population and this program is meant to target those needs.
0: So going along with that, there's a company, right? And it's called Community Based Care Integrated Health that oversees this Medicaid plan. For the entire state,
1: for all of those kids, the 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 idea was that the child welfare agencies across the state of Florida, who really serve these kids and who know their needs better than anyone, should help manage the program because it's really easy to get caught up in that whole you know big bureaucracy, that big company management, that big you know a lot of these companies are traded on Wall Street and they um, you know they're very sometimes very profit driven. And so, you know, we thought that it was very important, considering the needs of our kids, uh, that the child welfare agencies, the community-based care lead agencies that help manage these uh, these cases, um, really be a part of managing this system of care that's meant to deliver services. And so, um, we uh, have a company called Community-Based Care Integrated Health that, uh, in partnership with uh, a provider, Sunshine Health, and with in partnership with multiple other community-based care agencies, uh, gets together and helps coordinate care for kids across the state of Florida Perfect. in the in the Medicaid system.
0: So, what was the idea behind that? Because it's just like you know, we're child welfare people; we don't know anything about sure. that healthcare system. Like, sure. how did that partnership really? come to,
1: come to light, I guess. Right. So the, I think the the broader idea was that we recognized, I think the system as a whole recognized that you have to serve the entire child. You can't just be a child welfare agency and not be concerned about health care. You can't just be a child welfare agency and not be concerned about education. Um, you can't be a child welfare agency and not be concerned about job training and, you know, stability, economic stability at home. You have to be able to address a child's case in a more holistic way. Um, If you really want to see success on the child welfare end, if you really want to bring an end to the cycle of abuse, if you really want to make sure that a child has every opportunity to grow and, you know, live a happy life as a child, then you need to make sure that you're addressing a wide array of things or aspects of their life. And so healthcare is a huge part of that. Yeah. And so that's part of the reason why that conversation started is because we recognize that healthcare was a, a critical need in the lives of a lot of our kids and making sure that they received the right care at the right time and doing it in a financially responsible way with state taxpayer money um, was all part of the broader conversation of being more effective.
0: So when we were in Tallahassee for the legislative session, advocating for the plans that we have uh in our agenda what does that day-to-day look like because when we talk about advocacy right a lot of people have this misconception that you know you're behind a closed door and making all of these secret shady deals but in reality like that's not what it is
1: no it's not that at all in fact it's a very public process i mean there's committee meetings that are held and bills that are discussed in public and we've often testified on bills in front of uh Um, we meet with a lot of legislators, a lot of other providers. We coordinate with our other community-based care lead agency partners. We coordinate with Sunshine Health. We really try to involve as many people as possible so that a really good decision gets made and a positive impact gets made. Um, but it's really it's a lot of boots on the ground. It's a lot of visiting legislative offices and making sure that you spend some time with legislators, and that they really understand that the choices that they're making will impact the lives of kids in the child welfare system. And so it's important for them to know that a system that works well has a positive long-term impact not only on the child's life but on the economic outlook of the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. If we're dealing with issues when children are younger and we're addressing some of those issues, it prevents them from going into the court system. It prevents them from going into the juvenile justice system. It prevents them from, you know, oftentimes overusing the healthcare system, right? Because you're preventing some of those things uh, that would lead kids to visit the ER on a regular basis or that might lend themselves to getting arrested in, in the future, right? Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're being more proactive. And so it's important that legislators know that the return on investment when you invest early in a child's life is, is really significant. And that's part of the reason why we go and revisit them.
0: So what does your day-to-day look like? Because when I went to Tallahassee for the first time earlier this year for session, I learned very quickly that wearing heels
1: <laughs> is yeah. not going to do you yeah. any favor. Yeah, well, I mean, thankfully I don't have that particular challenge, uh, but uh, there is a lot of walking. You cover a lot of ground in Tallahassee. Yeah, you do. There's 120 uh, House members and 40 senators and Sometimes you have to go out to the Department of Children and Families or to the Agency for Healthcare Administration, and uh, so you really have to be out there and you have to kind of cover a lot of ground. Um, There is no such thing as a typical day, Um, but our days are dominated with being proactive, visiting these offices, trying to ensure that people understand the message that we're trying to send, understand the program that that we're managing, and... Sometimes it's about reacting to things. Sometimes people will come out of nowhere with amendments or ideas or changes or, um, you know, thoughts about what programs should or shouldn't do. And a lot of times we have to respond to them very quickly about, well, we think it would be a good thing for kids or we think it might be a bad thing for kids. Um, and so it's there's no such thing as a typical day, but we do cover a lot of ground. And we do really, both in Tallahassee and in Washington in a lot of cases, uh, try to get out as best we can and make sure that we're spreading information uh, accurate information as effectively as possible, and then we try to squeeze in lunch somewhere in there, <laughs> somewhere in, somewhere in the middle of the day. We try and get like a quick sandwich so that we can keep going.
0: But clearly, you're not busy enough as it
1: is. <laughs> right.
0: So, what we're going through, we have how many legislative priorities? we got five. Uh,
1: we have we have five state priorities, and then we have two uh, relatively larger uh, federal priorities.
0: So let's talk our state ones okay. to start off with. Sounds good. So this one, we're really going to be focusing on Medicaid, the child welfare specialty plan that we just started talking about before. And so for that, we have three items that we're working on getting passed. And so that first one is, and I'm just going to read it verbatim from this handy sheet of paper. Okay. So, all right. Party number one, a specialty plan enrollment eligibility currently consists of children or youth in care, an extended foster care, or in a subsidized adoption. So the current statute doesn't include youth or children who have closed out in permanent guardianship and would be part of the title for e guardianship assistance program.
1: Right.
0: So why should people care? Why is this an issue?
1: Well, because the kids that are in guardianship situations are the same as the other kids. They're the same as the post-adoption kids. They're the same as... Uh, kids that are in foster care or extended foster care, their needs are the same. They still have the higher end needs that would be addressed by the Child Welfare Specialty Plan, but because the way the law is written, um, their relationship in a guardianship relationship doesn't qualify for the Child Welfare Plan. They're still eligible for Medicaid, mm-hmm. but the Child Welfare Specialty Plan is really meant to target the very specific needs of our kids, and they're our kids. They they Just because they're in guardianship situations doesn't make their... Uh, their needs any any different. And so we think it's important that those kids have access to the science, same high-end quality care that the other kids in the child welfare system get. And so that's why we're fighting so hard to get them added to the list.
0: So do you think that they weren't initially included just because of an oversight, or do you think it lends towards the larger issue of people not really seeing kids that are with guardians or with relatives as being part like involved in the child welfare system?
1: So I I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding of what a guardianship relationship is. And I'd be willing to bet that some people even thought that, oh, those kids would be covered, right? Like there would just be an assumption that those kids would be included in the foster care conversation. Um, And I, I think that there is a little bit of oversight, you know, as these things evolve, as programs continue, you start to identify what some of the flaws are, where some of the holes are, and so that's what we did. We identified guardianship uh, as a as an issue, and so we, you know, kind of set about trying to solve that issue. Um, it's important to note we're talking about a small group of people. In the grand scheme of things, there are hundreds of thousands of people uh, that get Medicaid, millions actually that get Medicaid. Um, the real question is, you know are they getting the right kind of insurance? Are they getting the right kind of coverage? And for these kids, and it's a small number, it's somewhere we've estimated somewhere between five and 7,000 uh, lives, roughly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are those five to 7,000 kids throughout the state of Florida getting the coverage that they need right to yeah. really address their needs? And at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, making sure that they get the services that they need. And so um, that's the whole push behind it. Um, we don't foresee it being a really difficult lift. We think uh, everyone that we've spoken to at the Agency uh, for Healthcare Administration, ACA, and all of us internally, everyone gets it. Everyone understands the need for it. Uh, it's just a question of actually getting it done in the legislative session. So,
0: so what do we see the solution as being? Like, what are we going to be advocating for while we're up there?
1: But a change to the law that allows those kids to be eligible for our program. That's about it. So is it just like a language change? It really is. It, it, it's as simple as adding their... their as a category, guardianship, relationships, into the list of eligible parties for this Medicaid plan. Um, And once we do that, then those kids would be eligible and we'd be able to get them on the right plan and get them the right services.
0: So it seems like this should be easy, right? If we're just talking about, (laughs) hey, this is language, (laughs) you just have to make some tinkers. So for someone who is wondering why does this require a legislative change? Can you break that down a
1: little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, a lot of things that we there's only really two options, right? There's either the, the rules that are set in place by departments, or there's state statute. Those are the things that govern, very kind of in a simplified version. Those are the things that govern state programs. And in this particular instance, the state legislature, um, adv- or uh, you know, allowed for this program to be created and they defined in statute who would be eligible for said program. Um, and so we have to get a change. And part of the, it seems very simple on the face of it, right? Like yeah. there's this group of kids, there's this great program that would serve that group of kids more efficiently. So we need to get those kids on this program. Right. And so that seems a very direct line to better service. Mm-hmm. The problem is that uh, sometimes the legislative process can be very messy. People often say that it's like making sausage, right? Like you don't want to see it's very – it's great at the end of the line, but you don't want to see the process, right? (laughs) Right. And so, you know, you have a great amendment, a great bill that gets this accomplished, but then it gets bogged down with an amendment or it gets added to another bill that's huge and it may be the topic of conversation, Mm -hmm. a topic of a heavy debate. And so all of a sudden, you're a very simple item is attached to a whole bunch of other really complicated things. Mm. Uh, and that can slow it down and sometimes it kills it. Okay. Um, you know, sometimes really good common sense changes, whether that's adding laws, taking laws away, sometimes it's it's good to simplify things. Okay. Sometimes, you know, government has a tendency sometimes to overcomplicate things. And so sometimes it's good to cut laws and, and you know reduce some regulations or you know streamline some processes. Um, sometimes even the best ideas get killed uh, in the legislative process because they get connected to all these other things, budget bills and other more controversial things, um, and so they just don't make it. And so you have to go back the next year and try again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to keep our things moving as clean as possible, but, um, uh, you know, it's it's just part of the process, and we've learned to deal with it. In some years we have a lot of success, and then other years we have to practice some patience and ride it out, but um, at the end of the day uh, we're pretty confident that these are some pretty simple changes we want to make that are common sense and we hope the legislature will agree and move forward
0: so speaking of common sense then let's talk about priority number two okay and so that one is for kids who have been adopted adopted, are now eligible for enrollment in the child welfare specialty plan so the medicaid plan is not only for kids that are currently in foster care it's once they are adopted as well because those kids still have a lot of the same needs. Um, Your trauma doesn't magically go away just because your current situation
1: changes. Right.
0: 100%. And so right now when kids are in pre-adoptive status, they're covered under Chapter 39. That has language for the sharing of data and information to allow us to serve them in the child welfare system. And so the issue that we're currently facing is that we are not allowed to share data or information for children who have been adopted because they move from being under Chapter 39 to Chapter 63, which is related to adoption. And that does not have the language that allows for the sharing of data and information for those children.
1: Right. And so everything that the government does is governed in a chapter, right? And so child welfare is generally governed by chapter 39. And then there are some things that are governed in chapter 63 that are post adoption and a few other services. And so the, the the real simple explanation of this issue is on Monday, medical professionals and child welfare professionals can sit down and talk and they can work out a plan for a child on Wednesday, that child gets adopted
0: Mm -hmm.
1: on Friday. The medical professionals and the child welfare professionals are no longer able to share information. Then, as you pointed out, the needs are the same. Yeah, Kid doesn't change Mm
0: -hmm. just
1: because they're adopted. They still have the same mental issues, physical issues, whatever it might be. But now we're prohibited from sharing information because of HIPAA and a number of other privacy laws um, and other things that are, in, in general, really good and meant to protect the public. Right. Um, But in, in this particular case, actually hinder the progress of a child, right? They actually hurt the case plan for a child. And so all we're trying to do is ensure that the language in Chapter 39 is repeated in Chapter 63 so that whether it's before or after adoption, if that child is involved in the child welfare system, all of the right professionals can sit in a room and talk and make sure that they're planning accordingly.
0: So if I were a healthy skeptic, I would say like, okay, well, this kid is now adopted. This child has active, involved parents. Sure. So why should it not be the parents who's communicating this information between, you know, the child welfare system and this child's doctor? Sure.
1: Well, so there are uh, two initial points that I would make about that. One, they already had very active parents. They were foster parents and they became adoptive parents. So those, those folks were already active and involved and responsible. That's part of the reason why we encouraged the adoption, right? So, mm-hmm. so I don't know that necessarily even their role changed over the adoption, right? It just became a more formal, legal setting. Right. But those, those folks were generally, they were that child's parents uh, going into this. Uh, and the second point I would make is it's not really realistic to ask a parent whether it's a biological parent or a foster parent who becomes an adoptive parent, it's not realistic to ask the parent to be the conduit for information between multiple systems, right? Should they have control? Should they be able to um, make decisions on behalf of the child? Of course, right? That's just natural parenting. Mm -hmm. But when you have the opportunity to make a seamless transition where medical professionals and child welfare professionals can sit in a room and talk about a child, uh, their health condition, their the status of their education how they're doing and how they're adjusting to a new home when you have the ability to put those people in a room and simplify that process all to the benefit of the child you should absolutely do it and it's just it's just not realistic to have what would be a really bad game of telephone where the mom would have to call the hospital find out or call the doctor and find out and then call the child welfare professional and then if the child welfare professional has a comment have to call the medical professional back, and then all of a sudden you you just play this game of bouncing back and forth. Not only is it complicated, but it's really inconvenient, and it slows down whatever work we're doing for a kid.
0: Well, let's talk about why we need to be at the table anyway, because, you know, most people think that, or I'm assuming, like, one of the pushbacks that we'll receive is, well, this kid has been adopted, so they are no longer part of the child welfare system. Why do you deserve a seat at the table? Like, why should you be part of these conversations?
1: So they they are still part of the child welfare system in a, in a lot of cases because um, the state has found a vested interest and communities really have a vested interest in the success of those adoptions, right? And so imagine going through this long process and someone just being uh, essentially, you know, formally placed in your home for life and then there being no more supports ever, Oof. right? I mean, that would just be ridiculous. And right. so so we as as not only as a community, but the, at the system has really recognized that to make that transition smoother, to ensure that there's still supports in place to make, um, you know, a teenager, oftentimes a teenager going into a home for the rest of their life, right, to make that transition smooth and to make sure that it's successful, um, we want to uh, continue to provide some supports to them. So mm-hmm. that makes them part of the child welfare system. And it makes it necessary for us to still play a role now. Post adoption, it's important for people to know that post adoption, um, families can opt out. They can decide that they want to they want to terminate that relationship. They don't, that they don't want to be involved in the child welfare system anymore. They, they, they may not want Medicaid anymore. They, they'll go on private insurance. All of those things are very possible. But for those who say that, yes, I want the continued support uh-huh. because th- this is important and we want to make sure it succeeds, um, you know, we have a responsibility to help support that that relationship and make sure it's successful. And I'll tell you that um, that work has paid off because we have more successful completed adoptions that have stuck today than at any other time in the state's history, right? Like, we, wow. the, the adoptions that we're formalizing
0: mm-hmm.
1: are good, and they're working, and they're permanent. Yeah. And that's really, at the end of the day, everyone needs to be way more concerned about the, the child, the kid, having a permanent home and a family that loves them, mm-hmm. um, and worry about all the bureaucratic stuff second, right? At the end of the day, really, the, the goal is always to make sure a kid's happy and in a, a healthy home.
0: And I think one of the best ways that we can illustrate this, which is an example that I have made up, but I found it very illustrative, is that, say, you know, there's a kiddo, they get adopted, mm-hmm. and they're struggling with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And so it gets to the point adopted adoptive parents are like, this is a lot, I don't think I can deal with this, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, I'm at my end. like, I might need to give this child back to the state because this is just, you yeah. know, a disaster sure. for my household. Sure. And so... We, as a child welfare system, don't know that if we are not at the table. So it's like this family is just struggling by themselves, not receiving any services, floundering. But by having that seat, by being able to have that conversation with medical professionals, we can be proactive about it to see what we can do on our end to make sure that family is supported. So that way we're not having a child that is then abandoned coming back and we're able to get out in front of it instead of then having to be reactionary after, you know, it's already
1: too late. Right. 100%. And so the, the key word there is proactive. So the moment we identify that there's a problem, that there's a stress in that, in that family, we're able to get in there and hopefully provide some solution, right? Help provide some support to help both the child and the parents get through that. And once that happens, it, it it kind of helps stem the problem as opposed to letting it fester and fester and fester to a point where someone does say, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and that's the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. having a child come back into the system. That's so preventable. Right, right, exactly. And so us having child welfare professionals at the table and involved in those conversations ensures that as soon as a problem is identified, we can get ahead of it instead of letting it grow into a bigger, a much bigger problem that has really bad results at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So
0: So it seems like a really complicated issue, which granted it is, but there's also a very simple fix, right, which is also just around tweaking some language to make sure that the statute for children before they become adopted, the language that's in there is reflected in that statute that refers to children after they have been adopted. Right,
1: exactly. And so the the language that's in Chapter 39, um, we just would like to see it added to Chapter 63. Um, There's also a chance that the Agency for Healthcare Administration, ACA, can... Um, do it administratively, that they might be able to make some rule changes that allow us to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we think that the simplest fix is just to ensure that it's in state law
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that you add it from thirty nine to sixty three and everyone's covered. Yeah, and so that's really where we're that's where we're headed.
0: So then we just have one last one, which is the most simple to explain, but has a lot more context that goes into it with there is no requirement currently. For an insurer to operate a child welfare specialty plan in partnership with CBC lead agencies. Right. They want to make it, so there is a requirement. Right. Why? Why should sim- sim- people care?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And we've had that question before. And the simplest answer is um, the people who work with these children every single day, the people who know their needs uh, inside and out the people who work with these families, the, pre- the people that have institutional knowledge, um, the folks that are quite literally uh, responsible for the lives of the kids that we are charged with caring for. Um, they know better than most the genuine needs of these children. And so they should be involved in sitting at that table when decisions are made about the quality of care, the consistency of care, mm-hmm. the cost of care, all of those things directly impact our kids, and there's absolutely no reason that child welfare professionals shouldn't be sitting at the table while those, while those conversations are happening. And, and so it should absolutely be coordinated with the professionals who, who serve these kids every day.
0: Are there other specialty plans that do not involve professionals from that industry?
1: Um, I don't know what the relationships, there are definitely other specialty plans. There are specialty plans for homeless, right. uh, for the homeless. There are specialty plans for, um, uh, those with HIV. Um, there are specialty plans for those with mental illness. Um, and I'm not sure about the relationship between like their advocates and their, their providers and the plan itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would tell you is that, uh, regardless to their relationships and how their plans are structured, we recognize that, um, Each case is very different, and so one broad stroke approach that oftentimes happens in, in like, the medical industry doesn't work for us. And so we need, um, need, you know, people who really understand our children, our families, and our system to help coordinate the care to make sure that we have the flexibility, that we have the resources, um, and that we have the, the real genuine knowledge of how to appropriately serve our kids. And so that's why it's so important that we have a seat at that table.
0: So uh, say a big guy from Wall Street comes in, and they're just like, no, no, we've got this. Like, Kids, trauma, they need more services, cool, thank you, don't need your input beyond that. I know like one of the things that we talk about being afraid of is people really looking at the bottom line instead of focusing on the needs. First
1: of all, there's nothing wrong with making money. Um, I think the question is whether or not you're making money, uh, despite what you know would be a better choice for kids, right? And so, you know, I, 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 all these systems are in place, and all of them at some point have employees that need to be paid, and they have, you know, different things that need to. They, they, everyone making money isn't isn't really the issue. I think the the crux of that question is the return on investment, and so if people recognize that for every dollar they invest in the child welfare system, you get multiple dollars in return um, because you're preventing kids from going into juvenile justice, you're preventing kids from going to jail, you're preventing kids from using or you know oftentimes overusing the healthcare system. All of those things are exceptionally costly when you can eliminate that by investing in a child upfront. I think that is the ultimate argument for both providers and investors alike, mm-hmm. right? Like you're doing a good thing, and not only are you doing a good thing, but the return on investment for doing it early makes it worthwhile for everyone. And I think at the end of the day, that's the, that's the best argument that anyone can make.
0: So with the other being language fixes, this is a little more complicated than that. So what is the solution that you see moving forward that
1: we're trying to ask our legislators to institute so i don't i don't at this point we're not sure that it would be a legislative fix or an agency fix but one of the things that we have expressed to agency leadership is that we believe that it's really important uh that we have a seat at the table and we think we've more than justified the reasons why um and uh you know the agencies exhibited or expressed an understanding of that, Um, you know, what that looks like moving forward. We're not really sure. We have some time, um, you know, because the current system is in place for a few more years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have some time to really uh, kind of work through it Mm -hmm. and think about what our involvement would look like. Um, But again, I think it's kind of a common sense thing that most people would agree with that, yeah, the people who serve these kids, the people who work with these families every day. They absolutely should have an opportunity to help guide the system, build the system, create you know, new opportunities within the system to serve these kids. And um, uh, so you know, it's, we're hopeful that we'll, we'll have a permanent seat at that table in one way, shape, or form. And by we, I mean the child welfare system. Uh-huh. right? It doesn't, it's not necessarily locked into one, one company or one group of companies. We just need child welfare people sitting at the table when these decisions are made because it's the right thing to do for kids. That's Medicaid. That's Medicaid in a nutshell. That is Medicaid. Medicaid, well, no, that's, Medicaid <laughs> is so much more complicated, and there are so many other moving parts to Medicaid. It's, like, insanely complicated, and, um, you know, it's part of the reason why uh, I think it's, it's so costly and confusing. To the general public, yeah. because people look at it and they just—it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand where dollars go. We're
0: talking it's, about our benefits now as yeah. we're electing them for next year, and even that one sheet of paper, I was yeah. like, I can't deal with it. Yeah, this it's way too much. Super
1: complicated. Like insurance is just so complicated when it—you know—it's it, at the at the core of insurance. It's everyone puts in so that if someone gets hurt or someone gets sick, they have they have coverage, right? So you put in. Every single year and maybe this year you don't use it, next year you might need it. Mm -hmm. That's like the core of it. Yeah. But it's worked into all these different things and the cost of healthcare has skyrocketed. So you know, pills, the, the cost of a pill in a hospital is exponential, the cost of services in a hospital is exponential. Um, you know, I mean... I'm
0: changing my plan it's just, to a high-deductible plan for next year. Oh, are you? And so I have it's, it's, so many doctor's visits lined up for next week. <laughs> so that way, I'm just not even having to deal with the yeah. belly of bad bees.
1: Yeah, well, the, and it's and it, it does. It gets confusing. You know, high-deductible plans, low-deductible plans, you know, what, what co-insurance is and what your percentage is after you meet your deductible. And it really should be a much more uh, simplified uh, program. Yeah. So that just regular old people can understand it and, you know, take advantage of it. It's confusing. Even to those of us who work in industries that deal with it on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis, it's really confusing. Um, and so, you know, I can't imagine how people that don't ever deal with it, except when they get sick.
0: Yeah.
1: It's it's really complicated. But, um, but, you know, there are some opportunities to do some really good things. The Child Welfare Specialty Plan is a great example. You know, it was created and it was meant to... Um, serve these kids and it's done it's done just that and because it's the only
0: one right it
1: is the only one that's meant to serve kids in the foster care system yeah yeah it's specifically created for kids in child welfare yeah.
0: do you foresee this expanding outside of florida in the future
1: um i mean if other states were um I, that really depends on the appetite of other states to invest in their child welfare systems um, you know, I mean, every state has some form of medical insurance for their people, Medicaid.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so really it's just up to, you know, each state's legislature whether or not they want to make uh, the investment in that type of program. Okay. And in general, these kids are all eligible for insurance across the country. Um, the question is whether or not they want to develop a plan that's specifically targeted at services for them. Uh, and that's, that takes a legislative um champion. That takes a push. You know, in Florida, it was folks like Governor Jeb Bush that really drove home the need for communities to take ownership of this, mm-hmm. and uh, of this issue. And that spiraled into all of these other things that surround the life of a child, these wraparound services, including health care and education services, that really are meant to improve the life of a kid. But um, it takes some legislative uh, champions to do that. So, so hopefully... I mean, hopefully other states will adopt it, but yeah. it's it's a big lift. So,
0: <sighs> I literally went to HR and said, talk me through this. I
1: understood <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, that book is, that book, it's, it's so only laughing. like 10 pages, and it's so complicated. I mean, they, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it now. They have like, I mean, the dental plan, <laughs> the dental plan alone, in one column, it's you pay 20% after deductible, you pay 40% after deductible, you pay 10% after after deductible, at some point, like someone has to walk someone through that and be like, what does that mean? Because the deductible isn't clear. And so you don't really know.
0: I literally thought, I was like, a deductible means I pay this and then I stop paying after.
1: Right. And they were like, that's not true. In theory. Right. (laughs) Right. In theory, you're still going to pay something afterwards. And it's like, okay, because I, I, most people think the same thing. I thought the same thing too. Like you meet your deductible. So that's your cash out of pocket. And then your insurance theoretically picks up the tab, but that's not it's not even close, right? You still have to make a payment based on some of the other things, and uh, and a lot of it is just so ridiculous because the cost of things is so insane that it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, how I I, I was I went to the hospital uh, a couple of years ago, and the cost of one of the IVs that they gave me... Oh,
0: they're outrageous.
1: ...was something like $7,000. Get out of here! And it wasn't even like a... It it wasn't even like it's like some high, high, you know, end pharmaceutical. It was like a basic thing that they have in spades at the hospital. And it, it, on my insurance bill, it turned out to be like $6,800 or something. And I was like, what is, what is going on? Like, aspirin should not be $16. Yeah, like, it's just... And aspirin shouldn't be 16 bucks. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And, um,
0: well, you know, I have a seizure disorder, yeah. and it got to the point that, you know, you see them and they're scary, but, like, really, sure. for the person going through it, it's just like, it's tiring. But outside right. of that, like, it's not a big deal. Well, and then, but, you know, like, you
1: go in and you see, like, you see a specialist, and then you see the ER doc. And then they bring in a general practitioner who literally takes your pulse and like asks you if you feel any pain in certain places. And then they show up on your bill for $2,000. And you're like, what is
0: this? I was like, if you this? call the ambulance or, one this? more time, I mean, let me convulse in a so corner. It. I
1: will be okay. It's really, I mean, that at the end of the day, that's really what the conversation needs to revolve around, making the system more efficient and more effective and more cost efficient. Because the fact that there are people in this country... And we digress from the child welfare conversation, but the fact that there are people in this country that are literally going bankrupt because they have medical bills that are beyond their capacity to pay is absolutely insane. Do you listen to
0: the daily by any chance? I do not. So the New York Times has a daily podcast called Surprise Surprise The Daily. Oh shocking. And his the host is Michael Barbaro. That's exactly how he says his name with like the whole tone and everything. Oh, man.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'll listen to it on my way home Oh my gosh, you have to. It's
0: it's so good though. And so they have like, every day is about maybe 25, 30 minutes of like the stuff that's been going on sure. for the last 24 hours. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is that this week they had one that was about the medical system and how their hospitals are now, you know, it's becoming more commonplace to sue their patients in order to recoup the costs from those that are not able to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. And so... They were talking about it. it was all chronicling one woman, and like her daughter has just like a lot of issues, and she was like making as much as she could on payments, and she would, got to the point that they were all only eating once a day, but they decided to sue her because they were just like, look, healthcare costs gotta come from somewhere, and like we understand that you're having issues, but at the end of the day, like we also have bills to pay. Um, for the state that hospitals are having to sue their patients who are already getting close to declaring bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Something just has to
1: give here. Right. Well, and I, again, I think it's there needs to be a focus on the, um, the cost of care. Um, you know, it's, it's important that the, uh, the professionals that go through many, many, many years of very expensive training to work in those places, they deserve to be compensated fairly for the work that they do. But again, the fact that someone pays an exorbitant amount for a bottle of aspirin that you can buy at Publix it's for $6 is absolutely insane. I mean that 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 makes no sense to me and, and that that is a true example of how those costs are being spread out. Yeah. And you know, I mean I understand that a hospital will spend a million dollars on a on an X-ray machine. You know, they'll they'll go and they'll buy it for for an MRI machine, they'll spend a million, a million five, mm-hmm. maybe even more. And so they have to recoup those costs. But the fact that you would not only recoup those costs Um, but then kind of inflate prices on other items, um, because you have to cover your overhead. It's just, it's just so, it's just so, it's ridiculous. And at some point, you know, the hospitals, the state of Florida has a lip fund. It's a low income pool. So when hospitals provide services to people that don't have insurance, they can apply to the state lip fund and be compensated for that. Hmm. So that helps stem the tide a little bit. That is another thing I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Like I knew
0: they were charitable in many instances, but I didn't know right. like the mechanics
1: of that. Right. So the, the law actually states that if you present an ER in an ER and you have a, like a real life threatening, they have to serve you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they yeah. can't they can't turn you away based on your ability to pay. Right. Um, and so a lot of hospitals oftentimes will provide service, and they'll never recoup anything because that person might be indigent. Or they might not have insurance. Whatever the case, may be. they might not have the ability to pay, and so they'll go to the state legislature and they'll say, um, "You know, we have this much in uncooped un- cost based on our lack of insurance or based on ind- indigent services." Excuse me, and um, the state has a fund to help compensate for that, and that stems it a little bit. But at the end of the day, the, the costs that the insurance companies uh, and the hospitals face is really obscene, and all of that trickles down to the consumer, which yeah. is really obscene. Um, and so, you know, I mean, at some point, something's, like you said, something's got to give.
0: All right, so when it comes to town welfare news and updates, it's the holidays. Nothing's going on. Well, I mean, There's plenty our- of
1: opportunity for people to give and donate and— Support their local child welfare agencies, and everybody's doing Christmas parties and collecting toys for kids and uh, all kinds of other stuff. So yeah, there's there's opportunities. Just gotta go and reach out to your local community-based care lead agency and uh, your local uh, child welfare groups, groups like uh, Devereaux and Children's Home Society and Boys Town and
0: One Hope United. One Hope United, all embrace kinds families. of
1: uh, all kinds of uh, embrace families, all kinds of organizations that are out there doing stuff. So just reach out and see how you can help. Um, because everybody has uh, got something going on for the holidays. so
0: Did you finish all of your shopping?
1: Ha! I'm not even close to finishing all of my shopping. I have my niece, my, niece, my niece told me the other day when I was at home, she told me what she wanted for Christmas. And then she said, um, and feel free to throw in a gift card as well. <laughs> and I was just like, what is happening right now? Like these kids are like super brazen and all of them they're all like as they get older I guess everything gets more expensive right I miss the old days when you just buy them a little plastic bobble and they were happy for six months now they want little mini computers and art sets and all kinds of stuff that's really pricey, so, you know, so Uncle Joe's got some work to do, but that's <sighs>
0: okay. Uncle Joe, got to get it together. I mean, it's
1: really, I know, we only have, like, two weeks before Christmas, too, right? It's, like, coming up.
0: You didn't even so, take advantage of Prime, oh, not Prime Day, Cyber Monday. No, Black I didn't Friday.
1: do any. I don't, no, people ask me, are you going to go shopping? And I was,
0: Well, no, I do it who, from the comfort of my home and computer, because ain't nobody trying to deal with those crowds.
1: Throw <laughs> elbows, because they want a TV that's $200 off. It's just... That makes no sense. So, I mean, it's all right. Amazon's still got plenty of things, and I'll get out to a couple of stores and buy some stuff. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to do my best. But I'm apparently I have to add gift cards to all their presents this year. So I've got six of them that I have to worry about.
0: Well, now that I know you have not completed your shopping, I'll make sure to get you a suggested list of items that I am currently in the market for. I have no Did you decide doubt. to be so
1: generous? <laughs> I have no doubt. Well, you and you and Ethan, since you're relatively still newlyweds... You know, you can uh, just tack on a little. And by the way, just we need a housewarming thing for this, right? Oh,
0: you so, can also add the about. gift uh, for our wedding that we yeah. never received. There you what go. About, boom. Well, first of, all, <laughs>
1: first of all, why do you say it like that? Don't say it. <laughs> so no, that just sounded don't really say entitled. It, like that. it did. It, not only oh, did it sound no. really entitled, but it made me a jerk for not buying you a wedding gift. I wasn't, was I, I'm sorry, was I invited to that wedding? That you were invited
0: a, to our wedding
1: was, was not, party here. I was not, I was I'm sorry. It is
0: on your work calendar. You need
1: to I stop you a right now. I sent you an invite. You had a beautiful wedding <laughs> in Mexico, and was I invited to that? No. <laughs> was almost so, anyone invited to that? Well, you no. know, I mean, am I almost anyone? Is that what we're doing now? Oof. But that's fine, okay. I hope, Ethan, I hope you have a great time at sushi tonight. Oh, well. I made I will. I'm going to be doing paperwork, so enjoy yourself. I will. It's going to be delicious.
0: So you can find us on social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Future Effect FL. Make sure to give us a rate and review if you have listened, because of course we want more great people to hear that podcast. And this is the best way to be able to get the word out and be able to help some of our kids. So, we have anything else? Do we have
1: another one coming up before Christmas? We have two. Coming out before Christmas? Oh, no, not before Christmas. Is this the one before Christmas? Yes. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everybody. Ho ho ho. How do you not? I mean, that's 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 what we should be saying. Happy Holidays, right? Is it Happy Holidays? Happy Holidays. Happy, yeah, right. Yeah. Happy Christmas,
0: Hanukkah. Quantica. Oh, yeah,
1: that'll work. Let's go with that. All right. What is it? Ha- Christmas, Mahana Quantica. Christmas, Hanukkah. Quantica. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, happy that. <laughs> <laughs> happy Holidays, everybody. Be safe. So what we do together today will create a
0: breach resilient tomorrow for all this is the future effect see you next time it is my phone oh it's ethan hello you're on speakerphone phone with joe
1: oh hi joe what's up ethan oh i you say my name like that let me talk to you no man we're we're recording currently so everything you say is being recorded too Well, then I guess I'll hear myself when I edit it. Uh, So how busy, how much longer are you busy, Danielle? I'm keeping Uh, her until 5 o'clock today. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to go play mini golf, and then me and Eric and Alice are going to go to hand roll sushi. Okay, that's so terrible. I taunt her with that. You're a terrible person. You're the worst husband ever.
0: I literally did not have breakfast so I could save calories for fun foods today. You're a
1: jerk is what you are. So <laughs> we're finishing up our podcast. Yeah, we're finishing recording up, and then now, she'll be done, then.
0: and then I'll be leaving. So I want to come with you.
1: I guess we can wait for you.
0: Are you done with Jamaica? Yeah,
1: I don't know who. What's Finish Jamaica?
0: He does telether- teletherapy with kids in Jamaica. Oh, all
1: right. But anyway, uh, I'll I'll try to make it so you can join us for things.
0: I'll be out of here by four. <laughs>
1: Thanks, bro. We'll see. Okay, she'll be out of here by four. She's we're we're wrapping up. She's going to do her sign-off stuff, and we're going to be good to go. All
0: right. Well, bye. (laughs) Have
1: a blast. (laughs) Bye.